the scripture this week, um, we are still with Luke on uh, the chapter in chapter 6, 27 through 38. Is it 38 or 36? I don't know, either way. We'll go with 38. All right. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken, up, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I started writing this week, I realized that this text needed some deep explanations. And some of those explanations are simply a need to refresh us on some vocabulary words. Everyone's favorite, right? As many of you know, there are a lot of words that mean the study of something. Biology, the study of life. Sociology, the study of human society. Ornithology, the study of stupid birds. smart. Within theology, hey, there's another one, the study of the nature of God, there are subsets. The one that is most important for today is eschatology, the study of the final destination of the human soul. As Jesus' sermon unfolds, it becomes clear that while he is speaking to his disciples, he is reminding them of the eschatological implications of their earthly behaviors. This week's passage continues the Sermon on the Plain. Remember that the important suggestion in this sermon is that Jesus is speaking not only on level ground, but plainly with his disciples and all others gathered to hear. He is giving his disciples the plain truth of what is expected of them as followers of Christ and what is expected of them as they continue their earthly lives before entering the kingdom of God. 
This sermon was used as guidance in how a congregation can live and witness fully in its situation, considering the partial presence and final coming of the kingdom of God. The author of Luke perceived that the Jewish leaders and many Romans were hateful, even deemed enemies of the people. At almost every turn, there was an abuse of power. Instead of retaliation in kind, the gospel of Jesus calls for remembering the kingdom of God and the desire to build up the community. The gospel of Luke suggests that many people were exploited at the time. They were poor and begging on the street. The sermon of Jesus reminded them that in heaven there is an abundance of resources. There was a meme going around last around the last couple of weeks that was a picture of a teacher standing in front of three little boys. And the caption read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, stay after class. Your book reports are eerily similar. And it is very true. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are quite similar, and with good cause. Mark is the oldest, written about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. It was written quickly, as those who had known Jesus were starting to fade. So Mark's Gospel doesn't spend a lot of time poetically transitioning the paragraphs or glamming up its writing. It is there, it is so, and it is on to the next story. The authors of Matthew and Luke used Mark when they went to write their Gospels of Jesus some years later. Luke was able to use both Matthew and Mark to a degree, and both Matthew and Luke used another source of writing that did not make it into the final canon for whatever reason. Biblical scholars call this source Q, which is short for the German word quell, which just means source. Although the full text of Q no longer exists, it is thought that portions of it were found among scrolls found in Egypt in 1945. At the time of this original sermon, it was was a widely thought tradition that the community must imitate its leader. However the leader was behaving, so should the people. And that problem often still occurs. Well, so-and-so acts like that, So that means I can act like that. Often poor behaviors become the status quo because people placed at a moral or powerful center stop caring that the people are watching them. Jesus, of course, was aware of that. And thus he reminded them that God was their leader. Not the Jewish leaders. Not whomever the emperor had placed in charge of the area. But God. And as God is merciful, Jesus told the people, they should be merciful. As we inch toward Lent, this passage reminds us that the world is deserving of some severe punishment. Some may even believe of an apocalyptic nature. For a creation that bases its belief that we are created in God's image We are not doing a very good job of living up to that honor. Yet through the mercy of God, we are given chance after chance. Instead of receiving what we might well deserve, we are given the opportunity of repentance and turning toward the mission, which is love of God and love of neighbor, 
This sermon from Jesus gives us instructions on how to put eschatological mercy into earthly practice. Three things happen when these instructions are properly acted upon. First, the witnessing community extends the mercy of God to those who may be leading destructive lives. We do not have to agree or like what others do with their lives. We do not have to agree how they spend their money, raise their children, or even worship God. We do not have to agree on how they vote or how they make their living. We do What we do have to agree on is that God loves and extends mercy to all people. Therefore, we are required to do the same. Second, as we extend mercy to others, we realize that our own experience with mercy deepens. Not only do we start to possibly receive mercy back from people, but we start to understand the deeper meaning of God's mercy. We start to see and understand what a gift it actually is. As we extend mercy to those whom we might feel do not deserve it, we start to see that perhaps neither do we, which makes it all the more precious. The third thing that happens is that the church, both universal and local, can become the model of the kingdom of God that it is supposed to be. The kingdom is here and not yet. As Christians and as those that are knowledgeable to the truth, we must live our lives as though we are already living in the realm of God. We must realize that our first experience, the first experience that many people have of God and of Jesus is us. And we must grant them grace and mercy that has been granted towards us. The love that discipleship, like the love that God expands, demands that we love people that do not deserve it. It demands that we love our enemy. It demands that we love, we extend mercy to those on the outs of society who might, fit not, who might not fit our Rockwellian model of life. There is a caveat to that, though, something to remember. Although as disciples we are to love those that cause us harm, we are in no way obligated to remain in an abusive situation. Enduring days, months, or even years of torment is not something that God ever wanted for any human being. It is possible to offer mercy from a distance. It is possible to escape a horrible situation and still pray that the person who abused you finds peace. There are two or three people throughout my life that have caused me some significant damage. In order to survive and to keep on the track that God had put me on, I had to cut them out of my life. Because of my belief in extending grace and mercy and loving my enemy, those cuts were hard to make. They were counter to how I felt as a Christian that I should act. But the damage that these people were inflicting on me and onto the people around me became more than I could bear, and it became apparent that if I was going to survive, if I was going to be able to make the will of God happen in my life, I had to leave. 
I had to, as Jesus puts it in another one of his sermons, shake the dust of them off my sandals and move on. These people are never far from my thoughts. They are never out of my prayers. I ask that they open their minds and their hearts to what the Spirit of God is telling them. I pray that they see where the light of Christ is leading them. But I do it from a distance that allows me to breathe and to heal and to be the best version of myself that God intended. This passage also lends itself to the colloquial golden rule. But a lot of people tend to get it a little wrong. Many people hear it as do unto others as they have done to you. And that misses the mark just a little bit. When we read it as that, as, as such, it becomes full of retaliation. It allows for violence, for arguments back and forth that make absolutely no difference in the world. The truth in the golden rule is do unto others as you would have done to you. Be the first to extend mercy and grace. Be the first to realize that all of the arguing and hate is getting you nowhere. Be the first to realize that it is not the way you would want to be treated. As you respond to situations, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Unclench your jaw, unfurl your brow, relax your fists. Lend without expectation of return. And realize that as members of the body of Christ, we are to extend mercy. To be kind does not assume to approve of someone's behavior, but means to seek the best interest of that person. God wants even the worst of humans to repent and become part of the holy mission. In the Greek, the word kind stems from the word grace. And grace and mercy are our examples from God. The church cannot behave as though we know the final verdict of someone who behaves outside the kingdom of God. Human perception has its limits. Perceived enemies can repent until the very end. And even then, it is God who has the judgment. It is not you. It is not me. It is God. Grace, when given, as the Sermon on the Plain suggests, is like the person who goes to the market for grain. The merchant fills the sack to the very top, packing it down to ensure that every nook and cranny of the sack is full, and then pours the overflowing grain into the apron of the buyer so they can carry it home. This is how God pours out the power of the kingdom onto the communities that live into it. As we have been the person buying the grain, we must also be the merchant. Amen.